0: If you uh, need a Bible, please raise your hand, we'll get one to you. We'd like you to have the Word of God in your laps this morning as we study it, I should say as we get to study it, as we get to uh, read it. And more importantly, uh, my, my prayer has been this week for this, this message is, is so much that the Scripture, we would allow the Scripture to transform us more than just inform us, Right? Because, you know, that's a lot of times what happens. We go to church, we're like, oh, you know, that was good. It's not as a great message and so But do we really, are we really allowing that word to penetrate our hearts, to penetrate our hearts to the point that it transforms us, transforms us, changes us? So I pray that we allow God to do that work in us today as we study his word. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. So Ephesians chapter 3. Interesting enough, a couple weeks ago I got to take us through Ephesians 2, and it's kind of where I'm at, my own personal walk and personal study right now. So, why not take us into Ephesians 3? I thought that would be uh, just going right. This is awesome how the Lord works all these things out. In Ephesians 2, we looked at Paul talking about reconciliation. We talked about reconciling us through the grace of God, and we allow that reconciliation to take place first and foremost, and now Paul is going to talk about this mystery, this mystery of God being revealed to us. Now, a lot of times, mysteries are the unknown. You know, we don't really know about it. You never find out much about them. But here, what we're going to look at today actually is a mystery that God reveals to us, that God reveals to us through His Word. So if you'll stand and read with me. We'll read the first few verses here in Ephesians chapter 3, and then we'll pray one more time together. So, Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ, through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God, given to me by the effective working of his power. We'll pause here, let's pray. Father in heaven, Again, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Father, we thank you that we get to have your word in front of us. We get to hold your word in our laps today, Lord. Thank you that we, are, we can do that without fear of persecution, without fear of, uh, Lord, just being taken away from us, Lord. So, Father, I pray that we take your word serious today, Lord. I pray that our hearts are ready today, Father God, to allow your word to not just inform us today, Father God, but transform our very lives. So, Father, again, we just pray for a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon our lives. Be with us now as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, Paul is going to introduce us here to this mystery. And he tells us a little bit more about himself. Look at at where he's at. His current situation in verse 1. for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. So, when Paul wrote this he was in prison in Rome. He's under house arrest. You know, it wasn't like in jail, but he was under house arrest. So during the day, he was kind of allowed to move around, do whatever he wanted to do, but he was still under supervision of the soldiers. But every night, he was chained in shackles to a soldier to make sure that he would not escape before his uh, trial. So did you notice that how he saw himself there, how he pre- presented himself? He says, I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. He didn't say I'm a prisoner of man. I'm a prisoner, you know, under this Roman government, this Roman oppression. I'm a prisoner of this soldier. I'm a prisoner because I have to do this or that. He says, "No, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ." Paul used his current situation, his current environment, not allow, he didn't allow it to hinder him. He didn't allow it to stop what he was doing. He didn't allow it to stop the work of God in his life. So maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe there's, well, I'll just wait till the Lord cleans up my life or does this or that. Then, then, then I'll be useful to God. Then I can be useful to God. If he does this, if he takes this away, well, if he just fixes my finances or fill in the blank. Look at what happened. He is imprisoned, awaiting trial. And during this time, we have some of the most amazing things in Scripture that we got from Paul. One of those, uh, further on in Ephesians, is Ephesians 6. You know, the full armor of God. You know, he tells us to put on the full armor of God. You know, put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of, you know, all these different things. He's shod with the readiness of the gospel piece. Do you, do you get the picture? He's chained. To the guy that he's visualizing all these things about God. So God is using his current situation to give us all these things. He says, hey, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you. I'm a prisoner here for you because he was arrested in the first place due to his missionary efforts for trying to tell others, trying to tell the Gentiles about their position now in Christ. And we're going to talk about that more here in a bit. But the last thing Paul wanted was for people to feel sorry for him. He didn't want people to feel sorry for him. Oh, poor Paul. You know, poor Paul. You know, I mean, look at what he's in prison. You know, when I first got saved, I was in in college, and the Lord radically transformed my life out of a life of a religion. I was raised in a mainstream denomination, but it didn't have that transforming power in my life. And when I got saved, I quit drinking, I quit partying, I quit hanging out with the crowds, I left the fraternity that I was involved in, all that stuff. I left, walked away from all of it. And so my first Christmas, about this time of year, you know, my first Christmas home, going back home to my parents' house. I mean, you know, my friends wanted me to keep doing the same thing. Hey, man, come on out. We're having a party and all this stuff. You know, we're doing this and that. And I'm like, Nah, I'll come hang out with you guys, but I'm just not. I don't do that anymore. You know, and I, I'm not. I can't do that. And they're like oh, man, I'm sorry. We're sorry that you're like that. I'm like, man, you don't get it. (laughs) Sorry, man, don't be sorry at all. I mean, man, I am a prisoner willingly under Christ Jesus, my Lord now. And it's not about law keeping. It's not about doing this, don't doing this. God radically transformed my life and took all that away from me. I love what Pastor Chuck always had said about that. He's like, oh, you you can't drink. And he's like, I can drink all the beer I want. I just have no desire. God took that desire away from me. It's not a matter of keeping a law or keeping a list of do's and don'ts. It is a freedom as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ that I now have. Paul didn't want people to be, feel sorry for him. Look in verse 2. He says, If indeed you have heard. Well, heard what? He says, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me, underline this, he says, for you. It's given to me for you, the Gentiles. He's going to speak about the implemented strategy of God's plan for the church. It's going to go, he's going to execute God's game plan here. This is the mystery that he is revealing to them and to us today. Look at verse 3. He says, How that by revelation he made known to me, he made known to me. Paul wanted the Ephesians in Ephesus to know that, you know what? I'm not making this stuff up. He's like, this is not a fairy tale. This is not, I didn't invent this. He says, this was revealed to me. God gave me the revelation and I'm just a messenger. That's all I am here today, is just to be a messenger. We are messengers of God's word. You know, it cost Paul quite a bit, if you think about this for a minute. You know, it cost Paul quite a bit to hold on to this this mystery, right? So, you know, he's imprisoned. He was beaten several times, shipwrecked. You know, a lot of different things that we see, you know, it happened to Paul over his life. You know, if he had made it up, you know, at some point you'd, you'd probably throw your hands up and say, "I right, forget it. I'm done. You know, I've taken enough of a beating over this. I've I've been persecuted enough over this. I think I think I'm I'm done." But you know what? He says, "Look, he says I wrote down what the Lord revealed to me. I wrote it down. He gave me these words. He gave me this revelation to share to you." You know, have you ever encountered that with someone? Someone who's very just hostile toward the word of god somebody's very just hostile toward you when you attempt to share i don't want to hear anything about that bible i don't want to hear anything about the word of god i don't want to hear that i don't believe any of that stuff he's like how do you know it's even real i'm like hey i didn't write it <laughs> i just believe it it's god's word he said it and i believe it it's up to that's between you and him whether or not you want to believe it or not and is again it's indeed amazing to me that god would take paul And use Paul. I mean, Paul is the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was persecuting the church, killing Christians in the name of God. And he uses Paul to be the main minister of this mystery in the work of the gospel in bringing Jew and Gentile together into one new body. Because notice again, verse 3, he made known to me the mystery. He made known to me. The principle that Paul's going to describe about this mystery, it, don't miss the fact there in verse 3, underline it, highlight it. It says that it is known. It is known. However, you know, we wouldn't have known it unless God had revealed it, right? But he tells us that it is made known. In English, in writing your know, mystery it is something of dark obscure secret puzzling you know interesting don't know about it but the greek word here is actually mysterion which is a little different it still has the idea of being something that is secret but you know what it's no longer like closely guarded and hidden it's actually a mystery that has been opened up the truth has been revealed it's no longer hidden from human knowledge. It's no longer hidden from human understanding. Because he says there again in verse 3, he made known to me the mystery. See, Paul didn't hesitate to claim that this mystery, you know, was it only came to him by revelation. You know, it wasn't something that he made up. It was only by the revelation. You know, it's also given to Peter, you know, several instances we see Peter was given a revelation. Also, it's consistent with a lot of Old Testament scriptures. You know, and also specifically the words of Jesus in Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul declaring specifically how the Jews and Gentiles would be joined together now in one body. This was something that has been hinted throughout others, you know, throughout other areas of Scripture. But you know what? It was only specifically detailed to Paul and really entrusted into Paul to carry this to the Gentiles. Notice verse 5. It says, which in other ages, notice it says, was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed. So this nature of the union between Jews and Gentiles is now being revealed in the promise of one church. In the Old Testament, we're told that, you know, eventually salvation will come to the Gentiles. And also the Messiah prophet prophesied that, right? And the coming together of Jews and Gentiles into one church, this is a new thing that's never spoken of until this point. This mystery being revealed. So Paul goes on in verses 6 and 7 to describe the mystery. Read with me there. He says that the Gentiles should be, noticed. it says, fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So this is Paul's describing the mystery itself, that believing Jews and believing Gentiles are now joined together in one body. No longer separated from God. Before the Gentiles were separated from God. You know, the, the Jews back in this time, in this, time, the Jews believed that this is very shocking to them. This is like very shocking information to them. They didn't like it. That's pretty much why Paul is under arrest here. We're going to learn about that some more here in a minute. But they didn't like it. The Jews believed that, you know, Gentiles, all they were good for is keeping the fires of hell burning. Pretty pretty talk about racism. That's I'm getting deeper in that, okay? <laughs> That's what they thought. And now Paul is revealing to them this mystery that guess what? Believing Jew, believing Gentile, we are now joined together in one church. A Couple of weeks ago in Ephesians 2, I asked you guys, let's see if you were paying attention, how many churches is the Lord coming back for? What? How many? They can't hear you online. One! He's coming back for one church. He's coming back for His church. He's not coming back for the Church of Christ. He's not coming back for the Methodist Church. He's not coming back for the Baptist Church. He's not coming back for Calvary Chapel. He's coming back for His church, His bride. One church. Those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Those that have confessed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord of their lives. That's who He's coming back for. One church. And Paul is wrapping this up into this mystery, unveiling it before us that we are all one body in Christ. Now, it doesn't really matter where you go to fellowship, where you fellowship at, you know, or even what we do with you know water baptism, for example. You know, I mean, here, you know, we believe water baptism is just an outward expression of what's already taken place in the believer's heart. It's not a necessary you know, means of salvation. As if you give yourself to the Lord today and you don't get baptized till later on that somehow you're missing out on heaven. We can also disagree, well, do you, do you sprinkle them? Do you dunk them? Do you, you know, rub them? Do you steam bath them? What do you what do? You do? I, mean, I mean, seriously. This oneness only comes by confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life. Putting your trust in him. Doesn't matter where you fellowship, doesn't matter where you go, that is the one church that he is coming back for. That is the one. How many churches is the Lord coming back for? Okay, good. Just make sure you guys pay attention still, okay? Again, to those that have put their faith and trust in him. We need to come together to be building each other up, you know, fellowshipping together. That's why we come, that's why we fellowship not just on Sundays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, whichever day of the week, we come together to build each other up, to strengthen each other through God's word that we can continue on in love and good works. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The church, the one church, really needs to come together, especially in these last days, to be stirring each other up for love and good works. Paul, here revealing this mystery to the Ephesians, that you know what? They are now fellow heirs of this work. They are also part of one body of believers in Christ Jesus. And now look what he also says there, in verse 6, that we are also partakers of His promise in Christ. So the truth of this mystery here is that we are now full partakers, fully in. You get all the benefits. You know that the church, the body of Christ, if you think about it as, a, as an organization, it's really the only organization that really the benefits are really for the non-member. Our goal is for the non-member, to bring them in, to pull them out of the pit of hell, to bring them into our organization, to bring them into the fellowship. Whereas everything else, you know, membership has its privileges. We need to be outwardly focused, missional focused, focused on those that are outside the body of Christ to tell them the mystery that has been revealed, to explain to them that, yes, they too can become partakers of this promise if they put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. All men have an equal standing in Christ Jesus. So this is the same gospel. Paul is a servant of God. You know, he says that you know, in verse, in verse uh, 7, that this grace is given to him by the working of God's power. Working of God's power. He also says there, of which I became a minister. Minister. It's an interesting title to give yourself. He's not trying to, well, look at me, I'm a, I'm a minister. No. It's not about exaltation at all. Minister there in Greek, it is diakonos, which I like wood says, it is basically like a table waiter who is standing there, always waiting at the bidding of his customer. If you've ever waited tables, you know what that's like. Bless you. So you know what that's like. Waiting there, waiting for someone, always being waiting there at the bidding of your customer. Paul now presents this mystery and he kind of relates it a little bit to his personal walk. Because that's what it's about. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. To me, he says, who am less than the least of all the saints. Paul really marveled at the grace given to him. Do you ever do that? Do you ever marvel at the grace extended to you from God. Think about that. I mean, how much we so rightly deserve. We deserve the full-blown wrath. We deserve the full-blown punishment because we cannot live up to God's perfect standard. We cannot live up to God's perfect law. We deserve death. And Paul really had a great understanding of this. He had a really good grasp of this because it's all about the grace of God. It's not about him. And so he goes on to say that he should preach this gospel, this mystery as a reality. And when you consider Paul's personal history, I mean, man, you can really see that it's all about grace. It's all about God's grace to him. He also says that I should preach. It literally means, translated there, to announce the good news. Man, do we ever need more people announcing the good news these days? Preaching. It was so simple, just announcing the good news that Christ died for you. We simply need to do that. That's all we need to do is just go announce the good news to people that are trapped. What else did he say that he preaches there? Look at the end of verse 8. He says the unsearchable riches of Christ. Great riches for the Gentiles now. They are now have come into this good standing with God through Christ Jesus. They can come there. They don't have to dream about it anymore. They don't have to wish about it. They don't have to think about it. They don't have to just dream about being there one day. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're still outside looking in. Man, I just wish I could be like that guy. Oh, I wish I could be like them. Or I wish I could be like her. I wish I had that peace that she has. I wish I had that peace that he has. Well, you can because it only comes through that relationship with Jesus Christ. Being brought into that fellowship. In verse 9, he says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. You see, Paul didn't take this for granted. Having been entrusted with these great riches, you know, Paul's passion was to make the gospel known to all people. All people. All there means each, every, any, all, the whole. Everything, all things, everyone, everybody. You get it? All. What does John 3.16 say? He gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes. That's all. That's everybody. Everybody. Whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul wanted everyone to see and share in this fellowship of the mystery. This mystery is now being revealed. It's no longer unknown. It's no longer hidden until God revealed it now and He wants them to experience experience this fellowship of the mystery. You see, that's the difference of a personal walk with Christ. It's an experiential walk. It's a daily walk of what He's doing in your life. It's getting from that Informed state to a transformed state of mind. How do we get there? We get there, again, hanging out together, sharing the love of God, sharing in love and good works, stirring each other up. Again, Hebrews 10 24 and 25. Let us not consider one another in order that we stir up love and good works, you know, and forsaking the assembly of ourselves, the fellowship, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Together. Guys, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. We were never meant to be Lone Ranger Christians. We were never meant to do this on our own. That's the body of Christ, that's the fellowship. And he goes on to say there in verse 9, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. This great truth, hidden before it was revealed after the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Again, this reinforces the idea that we are living in the new covenant. It is something new. It is something different. After the death of Jesus on the cross, there is a new covenant. You know, we don't believe in replacement theology here that if you know the, new church, the church, the new covenant has taken place of Israel. That's not the case that we read in Scripture. This is a new covenant in Christ that Paul is speaking of here. This new fellowship in the mystery. Look at verse 10. He talks about the purpose here. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith In him. This manifold wisdom. This infinite wisdom. He wants his created beings, us, to know his manifold wisdom. Think about that for a minute. The purpose here of God's great plan for the ages here is to reveal himself to us. Are you allowing him to do that? Are you allowing Him to reveal Himself to you as you read the Scriptures? Are you allowing Him to do that transforming work in your life as you read the Word of God? Or are you just allowing it to inform you? I read that book. I have read that before. You know, I read that. It was good, you know. Well, did it produce a change in your life? Did it transform you? Or did did it just inform you? I know the flood, the stories, I know, yeah, I know that. Are you allowing it to just inform you or transform your life? This manifold wisdom, he wants to reveal it to us to transform our lives. You see, as we understand the character of God, you know, we can say that it is not for a selfish or self-glorifying motive, right? That's not, not the point. It's not that we can be proud, you know, like we show off our brains or our bronze or we show off, you know, our accomplishments to everybody. That's, that's not what it's for. Because the glory of the creature, us, we're directly connected to the Creator. And He wants to show Himself through you and through me to everyone else around us. Again, the wisdom there in verse 10 says that it is manifold wisdom, manifold. In Greek there, it is the polypoikolos, which means that it's a complex intricacy, like a, a, an amazing painting with tons of you know, colors in there, just intricately woven together. You know, we, we like to do puzzles and stuff at our house over the holidays. We, we did this one the other day. It was like four billion pieces. I don't know. It was ridiculous. It was all candy, jelly beans and stuff. And like, this is ridiculous. Might as well just flip this thing over and see if we can get pieces to go together. I don't know. I mean, it was crazy. That's the idea here of this manifold wisdom. It's so intricate, so beautiful. Each piece of the puzzle has its place. And when it's all put together, I mean, it makes a beautiful picture. And he wants you to know that. You're a part of that. He wants you to know that you're part of that puzzle. He wants you to know that you're a piece of that. God wants to reveal his wisdom to us individually, us, the church. The church is not this building, okay? The church is not all of the, I think there's close to a thousand churches now in the greater Nashville area. Let that sink in for a minute. It's over a thousand churches in the greater Nashville. Nashville area. His plan has not changed. His game plan has not changed. The story has not changed. The gospel has not changed. He wants to reveal this wisdom through the church. We're called for something much greater than ourselves. Right? It's not about me. It's not just about my salvation. It's not just about my own sanctification. We're called to a greater purpose. We are called to show others Christ through our walk in us. Do you get that? I mean, do you see how beautiful, what a beautiful picture that is. God chose a bunch of broken vessels as ourselves to reveal himself to this lost and dying world by you and by me. Sometimes, you know, Christians, we get this crazy idea, you know, that we get to be used by God because we're such great people. I don't know. I have no idea where that comes from. Man, I realized that really early on in my walk that I am not great. And I know it is not about me at all. He gets to, you, we get to be used by him to reveal this to a lost and dying world. We get to conduct it, you know, my life, your life, you know. We get, it's because we are revealing this. Did you catch there? It says at the end of verse 10. Notice, you know, this manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church. Notice, to the principalities and powers and the heavenly places. You know that your life and my life, the life of the church, we are God's message board to even the powers and principalities in the heavenly places. Do you see that? We get to show through us, personalize that for a minute, through me. We get, through me, we get to People get to look into our lives, including those in the heavenly places. few scriptures on this, 1 Corinthians 11 and 10. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority over her head or on her head because of the angels. 1 Peter 1, 2. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have reported to you, though... Those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. And then the last one, 1 Timothy 5.21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels before the elect angels that you observe these things which, without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. You see, we need to take our walk serious. We need to take our daily character serious. How we live out our daily lives. People are watching. People are watching your lives. People are watching your family. People are watching how you conduct yourselves in Walmart, okay? People are watching how you conduct yourself at work in your neighborhood, okay? That is the beauty of of the church out there. That is the mission field. We get to show them through Christ in us what we are, to the lost and dying world. We get to show them that. How well are we doing that? How well are we taking that? Are we taking that serious? I love what Spurgeon says. He has a lot of of good insight, wisdom on scripture, you know. And you know, Big Star Wars fan. He talks a lot like Yoda. You know, if you ever read *Spurgeon*, he talks a lot like Yoda. And lastly, what no, 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 think some of you, huh? And angels and walk and conversation? Huh? You know, he, he talks a lot of like old English. It's funny. I don't know. What think some of you, as the angels would say about your walk and about your conversation? Well, I suppose that you don't care much about them, and you should, for who but angels will be the reapers at the last day, and who but they shall be. shall be the ones to convey our spirits across the dark stream. Who but they shall carry our spirits like that of Lazarus into the Father's bosom. Surely we should not despise them. How well are we doing our walk outside these four walls? How well are we doing that? Self-examination. Are you allowing God to transform your life? Are you allowing the Word of God to speak into your life? We need to make sure that we're doing that. Look at verse 11. He says that it's according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, Paul further unwrapping this mystery. This eternal purpose is in Jesus. Did you catch that? The according This eternal purpose is in which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Let's look at Ephesians 10 for a moment. A couple pages to your left there. Ephesians 10. Uh, sorry, Ephesians 1, verse 10. Make sure you were paying attention. Caught you off guard there. Ephesians 1, verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one... All things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. It says that the fullness of the times, God will gather together. He is revealing this mystery. It essentially is summed up into one thing, all things under and in Christ Jesus. This unified body of Christ, according to the purpose that God started before time began, This is a preview of what Jesus is going to ultimately do in the last day. But we already see the fulfillment coming up in the sum of all things under Him. Another important phrase for us to underline back in chapter 3 and verse 11. Notice it says there, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished. Wait a minute. It hasn't really taken place yet. It's not... We're not in heaven yet. We're not not in that eternal place yet, but Paul still writes which he accomplished. The fulfillment is a certainty. It 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 will come to fruition. This initial work of bringing Jew and Gentile together in Jesus, that's just the beginning. That's just the start of it. So he's saying, you know what? I already know it's finished. That's how much Paul trusted what God revealed to him and what he did on the cross. It was finished. Jesus himself said that on the cross. It is finished. He's already accomplished this. And in verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. The fact that this unity, you know, is there this truth between Jew and Gentile coming together collectively we have the identical boldness and access and confidence now before God. We can come to God without fear. We have that kind of freedom of speech, if you will, to come before God without fear or shame because of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We get to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. And Paul, again, kind of, digs into now his uh, current position. Look again at verse 13. He comes back to where he's at. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. You know, don't lose heart. He's like, I'm under house arrest. I'm in prison again. You know, he tells his readers here not to lose heart. And I think that's an important message for us today. Not to lose heart. With everything going on around us, the pressures and the cares and concerns of this world, pressuring in on the church, the body of Christ, man, how the difficulties that we have in our lives, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Paul didn't want them to become discouraged for his sake, and again, neither should we become discouraged due to our current circumstances. Even Paul here, he's imprisoned. He is still being used mightily by God. Mightily by God in his eternal plan. Did you kind of catch that in our text there? Even while Paul is imprisoned, he is still being used mightily in God's game plan. But wait a minute. Have you ever considered that for a minute? That God's game plan might just be some difficulties in your life? Oh, Christians don't like to hear that. We just like to hear the good stuff, you know, that you need to come to Jesus. You'll have health, wealth, and prosperity, you know. Just give $10 today, and you'll have 100 tomorrow, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Christians don't like to hear, Whoa, you might have difficulties coming in your life. Oh, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I thought that stuff wasn't supposed to happen anymore. What's troubling you today, Christian? What's troubling you today that is keeping you, that's hindering you, that's putting you on the sidelines, keeping you from your service to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords? God can use you right now. Current situation, current difficulties, current problems, the whole mess, all the baggage, doesn't matter. He wants to use you right now. He wants to use you right now. Have you considered for a moment that maybe the dilemma that you're in, maybe the difficult situation that you're in, he wants to use you mightily to show others around you how awesome he is? Think about that, man. We get to reveal God's glory to a lost and dying world. He may use a tribulation. He may use a trial in your life. Paul says, my tribulations, notice he says, for you. I'm going through this stuff guys for you. That's my purpose. I don't mind. I'm not complaining about it. I'm under house arrest. This is awesome. It doesn't matter. Paul didn't care. Paul lived his whole life with his passion to bring the good news to others. So how did he get there? You know, his whole you know, he had this strategic visit bringing in God bringing him to Jerusalem, right? To share the good news giant crowd out in the temple area, and he's telling them all about it, and wait a minute, again, the Jews didn't like to hear that now Gentiles get to be a part of this, they didn't like that. Arrest that guy, he's crazy, you know what he's talking about, and he gets under house arrest, and the ensuing, this riot, you know, and Paul, and all his legal dilemma that he had to go through, you know, puts him in prison, under house arrest. Don't let your current circumstances hinder what God wants to do in your life. God wants to use you right where you are at. Do you know that while Paul was in prison, we have Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon, all these amazing works of God while he's in prison. (laughs) So think about that. They all have an amazing place in God's plan. And you know what? I can't stress it enough, guys. Don't wait for a minute. Don't don't think that, well, I just need to get my act cleaned up, and then then, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? Get get your act cleaned up. What, What does that even mean? If it's about me, that means it's not about him. It's about allowing him to do that work in your life right where you're at. Don't lose heart in the midst of tribulations and trials and what's going on. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart today, Christian. No matter what trial you're going through, no matter what difficult situation you're going through, you know what? Man, God wants to use you right where he's got you. Don't think about that any other way. And in light of this mystery that Paul is talking about, he prays. Look at verse 14, and we'll wrap it up here. Verse 14, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. For this reason, because of all this, because Paul has this knowledge of God's purpose for his life, he confidently can pray for God's will to take place in his life. You see, we cannot pray effectively if we do not have insight into God's purpose and will for our life. We can't pray effectively if we don't have that inside of what is God wanting to do in my life. Maybe you don't know that. Maybe you're questioning that this morning, what God God what do you want to do with my life? Don't stop praying that. Continue to ask him to reveal that to you. Continue to ask him to show you exactly what he wants to do because you know what? We are what we are all those tiny little puzzle pieces being intricately fit together into this beautiful picture, and he wants to use each and every one of us. What does he want to do with you? God, what do you want to do with me? And in light of that, all Paul can do is fall on his knees before God. Did you see that? I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is kind of... um, Common to us. People praying on their knees, right? Tim Tebow scores a touchdown. Boo, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, right? That's common to us, right? We see in Paul's time, praying on your knees was not common. They stood and praised with their hands raised, they stood at the wall. You know, most of the time they stood. Here we see Paul praying in this posture, bowing his knees. Humility came, I think, over... Humility probably just flooded Paul when he considered God's great eternal plan and the purpose and the peace of the puzzle that he got to play a part of. Do you think about that for a minute? When we stop and think about how awesome God's plan is, God's game plan, you and I, Get to be a part of that. You get to be in the backfield, you get to take the handoff, you get to take it over the goal line. Maybe you're on the front line and you just get the maybe you just get the block for that guy. Equally just as important. Maybe you're the guy up in the booth calling the plays, looking at the defense, calling it in giving the signals on the sideline. You ever notice that, the guy giving the signals on the sideline? He's a lot like me. He's a really skinny guy. You know, but he's got pads on and stuff. He doesn't get to play much. That guy is calling the plays in. He's very important. Very important. And I think that's what we see happen to Paul when this, this humility came over him when he realized the part that he gets to play in God's plan. And he humbles himself Falls on his knees. You know, that's why we that's why we have these exercise mats up here. You know? They're not for calisthenics in the middle of service. Okay, we're not that kind of charismatic church. Okay, that's not what it's for. Just in case some of you had that idea. This is so you can come up here and kneel at the altar before God. Now I'm not saying you have to. We get to. As the Lord leads. You know what? That's what at the end of the service, that's what. That's why we say, you know, Tim always closes and we say, the altar is open for you to come and kneel before the Lord if you want. A lot of different people. Solomon prayed on his knees. Ezra prayed on his knees. The psalmist calls us to kneel. Paul prayed on his knees. Peter prayed on his knees. Most importantly, Jesus prayed on his knees in the garden. In Luke 22, 41 and 42, and he, Jesus, was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, notice, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not not my will, but yours be done. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the Bible has plenty of scriptures where prayer happens and it's not on their knees. But I think scripture also has enough pictures for us to see and examples that, you know what, praying on our knees is also a good thing. Do as the Lord leads. At the end of the service, when we close in song, I mean, that's what that time is for. Now, you don't have to come up here as it's a show. Pray at your seat if you want, but do what God tells you to do. He tells you to get up, get up. Tells you to stand up, stand up. Don't worry about everybody else around you. Do what God tells you to do. Listen to that leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit in your life. For this reason, he says, I bow my knees there in verse 14 to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul directed his prayer to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Paul, remembering God's family, the oneness, the unity, the one body of Christ calling out the whole family in heaven and earth. isn't Do you realize as a believer how big your family of God is? Do you realize how awesome that is? The body of Christ working together. Maybe you guys have experienced that. You meet somebody for the first time and you're not really sure they believe or not and then you start learning more about them, and you realize, man, they are a believer. Wow. And that relationship is like, man, like you've known each other forever. And there's other guys that you hang around with forever and you haven't seen in a while, like my buddy Steve out there came and did worship for us. Steve and I, I think we've known, Sarah remembers this morning, his wife Sarah remembers this, um, that the first time we met them, we were at Calvary Chapel in Franklin right off of Five Points uh, when we first met up there. The first time they met us was when we were bringing my oldest daughter Jordan to church for the first time. How long I've known him. Seeing him this morning, man, it's just like, man, brother, my brother in Christ, the family of Christ. It is such a beautiful thing. Do you realize that the family of Christ, the body of Christ, it's deeper than blood. It is deeper than blood. Because it was paid for by blood. Paid for by the blood of Christ. Paul prays here. He wraps up his prayer in verses 16 through 19. He says, verse 16 says, that he would grant you, Ephesians in Ephesus, us believers, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with his might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, notice, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, there's this inner man, right? Right? that is just as real as our physical body. Now, we all understand the importance of our physical body and strengthening our physical especially right now after the holidays, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm just going to say, around is a shape, okay? Know about getting in shape or not. You guys need to check out LaDonna and their pound class. They will hurt you, okay? We all understand the importance of strengthening our physical bodies, taking care of our physical bodies, putting good stuff into our physical bodies, right? Because when we don't, you know, you eat a lot of sweets and stuff, you go to that sugar coma, you know? But you know what? We're not really concerned about the inner man so much. We have no concern to work it out, right? I would say that we need to exercise our inner man even more than the outward man. As if we're like you know doing some like spiritual training for the spiritual Olympics or something, getting our inner man in shape. Because he says there in verse seventeen that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Jesus promised that in John fourteen twenty three. Jesus answered and said to him, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him." and make our home with him. You see, there's a couple Greek words used for dwell. You know, we just use dwell, dwelling, you know. English is really a horrible language. You know, it really is. Other languages have a lot more words that are cooler for different stuff. In Greek, there's two different words for dwell. You know, one is to dwell as if living as a uh, passing passing through as a stranger You know, you just kind of stop, kind of like visiting a motel, you know. You dwell there, but you really don't dwell there, but you dwell there, okay? Different. Dwell, that is used here in verse 17, is a permanent home. Shows permanence. You see, Jesus just doesn't want to settle down in your heart as like a visitor, you know, visiting for the holidays, you know. Maybe you guys had visitors for the holidays and. You were glad when they got there, you were even more glad when they left, you know? Oh wait, I say that loud? Uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't just want to dwell in your life like that. He wants to take up permanent residency. Even during the difficult times. Even when the battle is going on in the inner man This indwelling of Jesus is something that he wants us to know and understand by faith that we have to take hold of by faith. We need this spiritual strength to let Christ dwell within us. Why? Why do we need to strengthen that? Well, there's something in us also that kind of resists that. Call it our flesh, right? In Christian circles, we call it our, our flesh, Romans 6.16, do you not know that to whom you present your slaves yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? We have to be careful because we can be slaves to our flesh. There's that battle, that inner battle going on between the inner man and the spiritual battle in our lives. Whoever you choose to obey, you come under that one's power. And we can allow that to happen if we're not careful. If we allow the flesh to come up, guess what? We're going to fall under the power of the flesh. Sin for a season. Allow things into our lives that we normally would not want to allow into our lives. And it will produce nothing in your life except for death. There is no way that it can produce anything but that. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Sin for a season, temptation, it may seem, oh, this is great, you know, no. It will always bring about death in your life. Second part of that is, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So on the other hand, if we are being obedient to God, Allowing that righteousness, looking into His righteousness that He brings into our lives, that gift of eternal life, never forgetting that, beating down our flesh, suppressing our flesh. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The believer is required to obey the word of the Lord. We can't do that in our own strength. We can't do that on our own understanding. We can only do that because of what Christ did for us. Notice also verse 17, he says that we are being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Love for one another. That's that's what should make Christians different, is the love for one another. Because look at verse 18, he describes it. What is the width, the length, and depth, and the height? The love of Jesus has dimensions that we can know and they can be measured. Now, they're not dimensions that are have an end, right? Not that we can understand. You see, Jesus's love had a width, right? And it was this about this wide when he went to the cross for you and me. John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave. You catch that for he loved you so much because he loved me so much. And how wide is that love? I don't know. I can't grasp it. I can't get it. I don't fully understand it. But I know it was enough that he loved me. The love of Jesus has length also. Jeremiah 31 and 3, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Everlasting love. The only other thing, everlasting, I know of is the everlasting gobstopper in Charlie and Chocolate Factory. I I don't know. That's the only other thing. Longer than that, that's how much he loves you. Philippians 2, 7 and 8, you see how deep the love of Christ goes. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death, on the cross. That's what he did for you and for me. That's how deep his love goes for you, how deep his love goes for me. In his height, the height of his love, Ephesians 2, 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, when we consider the cross, you know what the cross is, you know, it has like four directions. I think there's a picture of a cross we have. You know, I think everybody knows what a cross looks like wide enough for everybody, includes everybody, whoever would choose, whosoever would choose to believe and follow. It's long enough to go through it, last out throughout all eternity. It's deep enough for even the worst sinner. So don't think that for a minute, oh, God will never reach me. I mean, God will never reach that guy. I mean, he's so far gone. Man, it's deep enough to reach the worst person we can think of. And it's high enough to take us to heaven. Because Paul tells us that we can know the love of Christ. It's something that we can know. Something that we get to know. And he closes here in verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. Amen. Again, Paul says that God is able to do above all all that we ask or think. Did you catch that there? All that we, that we includes, includes you and me. You know, you, you and I can ask for every good thing that we've ever experienced. Do you believe God can do above that? We can ask for every good thing that we've ever even imagined. Do you know what God can do above that? Did you catch that? It is exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. You know, I can think of some pretty cool stuff. Man, God can do more than that. He wants to do more than that in your life. He wants to do more than that in my life. And it's all because of the power that works in us. The same power that was working in Paul to bring this mystery and reveal this mystery, Gentile and Jew coming together in one also works in you, also works in me. God's able to do that in our lives right now. Paul prayed for this. But it has to be received. You have to allow God to do that in your life. Again, we have to go from just being informed Christians to being transformed Christians. In the last verse there, to Him, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. The only fitting response to all this amazing mystery being revealed and God showing Paul his plan that he has for, it, to him be the glory. It's not about me. It's not about anything else other than him. To him be the glory for all this. So, this mystery being revealed. What do we need to work on this week? Don't just be informed today. Be transformed by God's word. Allow God to transform you. Maybe he's spoken of some things to your, in your life. Today. Don't take, you know, maybe you make notes in your Bibles, you highlight stuff. Don't just take it and throw it in the shelf, throw it in the closet when you get home, put it in the drawer. Allow God to reflect on reflect on those things this week. Don't forget about them. Pray about the things that are maybe difficult, right? That maybe God is like, you know, the Spirit's like really, you know, really working on you and this chip is a little harder to get off. And man, allow him to do that work in your life. Allow scripture to transform you. As we close here in song, the uh, altar is open. There'll be guys up here to pray for you. Come up, pray, or if you just want to come, Bow, whatever you want to do, whatever you feel like the Lord is calling you to do. But take the practical application of God's word this week and apply it to your life. Let's go from being informed Christians to being transformed Christians. Amen? Let's close. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. Father, we thank you that you speak to us, Lord, through your word. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us alone to figure these things out on our own. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, Thank you for the power of the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, Lord. Lord, do that transforming work in our lives through, the, through your word. Thank you that you didn't just hide this plan. You didn't keep your game plan hidden. Lord, you revealed it to all of us through the power of your word and what you revealed through Paul. How amazing it is, Lord, that we get to be a part of your game plan. We get to be a part of what it is that you want to do, Lord. We get to be a part of going outside these four walls and reaching a lost and dying world. So, Father, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon each and every one of our lives, Lord, that you would equip us, Lord, to go out and be those examples, Lord, that people would question what is going on in their lives. What is different about that guy? What's different about that girl? There's something different in them. And open those doors, Lord, so we can tell them and announce to them the simple good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us. So, Father, we thank you again for your word today. Minister to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.